Hello. Hey, everyone. Thank you. It's awesome to be here, speaking here. I'm David. Who knows what that is? <laughs> Not every Roomba is a DJ Roomba. <laughs> guys watch too much TV. Uh, this is a Roomba, also known as a robotic vacuum. Uh, by the time you leave tonight, you will have a keen sense of how you can resemble a Roomba robotic vacuum, right? <laughs> That's just to, just to tantalize you. Wow, what's, how's it, where's it going with this? It's really exciting. So to start, I'm going to pray and ask God to bless this time as we dive into what the Bible has to say about how to discover God's will uh, for your life. Let's, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for just everything you've given me to um, be able to speak on this. And thank you for your spirit that moves within me to prepare and to execute this in a way that would hopefully be most glorifying to you. And we pray that we ask that your will would be done tonight. I ask that you would relieve any, any stresses or nerves on my end and that you would be just the point of tonight. For those of us who uh, are, who, who, those of us who know you, I pray that we would just do away with any preconceived no notions that are keeping us distant from doing your will. And for those of us who are far from you or don't quite know you yet, I pray that you would just reveal yourself as, as more real to them just through our time tonight and that this just whole thing, this whole time would be just engaging and a loving just experience of what it means to follow you. I can attest to just the, the blessing and the wonder that it is to follow you. Thank you, Lord. In your name I pray. Amen. Okay. Introduction. What is our purpose? I think the best way to start a conversation about God's will is to determine what our purpose is in the first place. What is our purpose? This sounds like a big question. It is. It's a big question. What's our purpose, you know? And I don't profess to have the most succinct or all-encompassing answer, but I think two big biblical answers should help. And the first one, it's on your handout, to glorify God. To glorify God is a part of our, our purpose, to glorify God. The first and most primary element of our purpose before God is to glorify him. You need to know that God created you, he loves you, and he has a wonderful plan for you that revolves around him obtaining glory. First Corinthians 10.31 says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Depending on where you are in your walk with God, this may sound vague, confusing, and maybe a little like self-centered. Wouldn't, wouldn't an all-loving, all-good God not want to make it all about himself? Actually, note, not only is the glorification of God totally deserved, but it is totally satisfying for us because um, we, we read and it says, this next quote from John Piper and the Westminster Shorter Catechism says, the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. 
I don't really have time to get into the history and utter significance of this quote, but it helps us understand that glorifying God with our lives is the best and most rewarding thing for us. When we move closer to him in love and joy, he is glorified and we are enriched, all right? Two, first is to to glorify God. Two is to live in joyful, active obedience to God. Obedience to God. This is in practicality how we glorify God. Obedience, right? But the word, I would say the word obedience, right? Has a lot of baggage, to it, if, if you Google the word obey, this is the first name that shows up. Do you recognize that? Yeah. Um, it went from a sticker to a cultural phenomenon to an apparel brand pretty quickly. And graphic designer Shepard Ferry initially created this image. He's even stated that it has no particular meaning, but just looking at it, it has qualities that relate it to like a, like a propaganda type image, right? The bold graphic elements and uh, the bold like color paired with the word obey, paint a picture of like oppressive government subjugation control, you know, that kind of thing. That's just sort of like the vibe that we get from something like this. I feel like these are the things that come to our mind. These are the strings that are attached with the word obey, you know? You need to obey the this, you know, regime or whatever. So it's no wonder why we naturally kind of buck against obedience in the 21st century. But we can put our mind at ease knowing that the one we obey is not a regime or an agenda. It is our all-loving, all-good creator God who sacrificed his son for the sake of our freedom in him. That's partially why I add joyful obedience to this, that term joyful, not just, not dreadful obedience, right? Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. In God's sovereignty, he has given us things to do and he's had them in mind for us since before we were even born. Things that fall under this umbrella include a few things. First, there's abstaining from sin. This seems obvious. This is the kind of thing that we think about when we talk about obedience. Doing good is another part of this. James 4.17 says, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. James 4.17. So we see that sinning opposes the purpose that God has already lovingly mapped out for us. Another element of God's instructive, instructed and wonderful plan for us is pursuing fulfillment of the Great Commission. Uh, in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, um, hopefully, maybe you're aware of the, familiar with this already. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Most people think of following Christ as avoid bad stuff, do good stuff. While I still think this is somewhat true, it seems like an oversimplification of a much more three-dimensional purpose we have, which includes fulfilling the Great Commission. This verse is the last thing Jesus said on planet Earth, and it courses through the veins of 
this ministry of Christian challenge. We are not merely about avoiding bad and doing good. We are about making disciples, which should inject life and deep purpose into even the most stagnant professed Christian. These thoughts on our purpose will help us as we continue to peel back the layers of God's will. So the will of God in light of our purpose. Next, I want to look at three actions, three actions we should take to come to a better grasp and execution of God's will in our lives. And so the first, we need to define God's will. We got to define God's will. That's the next blank there. Define God's will. Now, in preparation for this message, I, I read a few books on this subject. And one of them was a nifty book called Just Do Something. It's by Kevin DeYoung. This particular section that I'm going to talk about comes straight from this book. It was just too good not to include and too well put to change, you know. So DeYoung says that there are three general categories for what we mean when we say God's will. Talking about God's will. They mean different things. So it's valuable to mention all three of them for the sake of narrowing down what you mean the next time you use the term God's will. And so the first is God's will of decree. God's will of decree. God's will of decree. This definition has to do with God's sovereignty. He is God, which means that everything that he decides to let happen happens, right? That's it. <laughs> he causes good things to happen, James 1.17. He allows bad things to happen. And, and Job, a man in the Bible who experienced a very viable crud ton of bad things, said this. He said, Job 42, 1 through 2, then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. No purpose of God's can be thwarted. He decides what happens and it just is. To argue with this is futile. To be comforted by it is, is valuable. Secondly, we can also define God's will as God's will of desire. God's will of desire. As I expressed earlier regarding our purpose, God's desire for us is joyful obedience. God's will of desire is the things he would like us to do. And we either do them or not, right? This is an entirely separate matter from his will of decree. This is, um, this is just, um, this is the things that we choose to get to do. Matthew 7, 21 says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. We see in this verse that some people do God's will and some people do not. The context here is, has to do with God's will of desire. And the third and final definition is this, God's will of direction. God's will of direction. We have God's will of decree, God's will of desire, God's will of direction. While this is something that certainly happens in the Bible, it is not necessarily guaranteed. The will of decree happens no matter what, right? And the will of desire is up to us to follow or not. But often when we talk about seeking God's will, I'm going through something in my life, I'm, I'm seeking God's will on this, on what to do. This is what we're looking for usually. It's God's will of direction. The most obvious examples of this in, in, in the Bible and since are in the form of like dreams, visions, 
and prophecies. These are mystical ways of learning God's will of direction that are simply too, way too out of our hands to put our hope in, right? I haven't experienced a dream or a vision or any kind of that that really led me in a certain direction from God. Too often we count on God's will of direction to guide us before moving or acting in faith. This way of going about it is not commended by scripture, by God's word. In Just Do Something, DeYoung puts it this way, expecting God to reveal some hidden will of direction is an invitation to disappointment and indecision. Thinking of it as a hidden will of direction, right? It's an invitation to disappointment and indecision. In an entirely unrelated article, Brian Zuniga, he's the director of Christian Challenge at CBU, says this, we have muddied the waters of missions and ministry with our desire for direction. He's specifically talking about people who feel like they need a call or a certain direction from God in order to go into missions or ministry. And again, from Just Do Something, here's the relationship between the three forms of God's will that we just talked about. Trusting in God's will of decree is good. Following his will of desire is obedient. Waiting for God's will of direction is a mess, all right? And maybe you've experienced that mess before. This quote clarifies that there's little that we ourselves can actively do regarding God's sovereignty or any specific direction he could or could not give. In light of all the above, our response is this. Since God's will of decree is unmoving, since God's will of decree is unmoving and his will of direction is unreliable, we can't just hope for it to happen. It's unreliable. His will of desire is unignorable. You see that? There's these three areas of God's will. His will of decree is unmoving. His will of direction, unreliable. His will of desire is unignorable. This issue of obedience, doing what God lovingly desires for us, is something that we can hang our hat on in action. We can do something about that. And as we'll see soon, passivity denies us the richness of a life that is passionately in pursuit of Jesus. Our next blank is know God's will. First, we need to define God's will. Next, we know God's will. We've learned how to, we've learned to avoid just waiting around for God to direct us. So how then do we find God's desire? There's a handy tool that I've come across that helps in this process. It's called the scope. Uh, picture it as a tool for honing in on God's desire along with getting guidance for a particular direction. So the first part of the scope is something we've already talked about, obedience. This is at the center of the crosshairs. This is the goal for every action we take. And remember, we glorify God. We glorify God through our joyful obedience. This is our goal. Next, the lens that surrounds the whole process is prayer, right? When ascertaining God's will of desire, we want to saturate that process in prayer. The lens is prayer. And when I say prayer, I mean like actually pray. And if you're processing a big decision, you should probably pray regularly, perhaps daily, for God to bring clarity to that. 
I and, and many of us have been guilty of being lazy in our attention to prayer. But when somebody asks us about how it's going, we'll say, oh, I'm, I'm praying about it. I'm praying about it. We kind of, yes, it's an ongoing process, but if you're not serious about prayer, I don't think you're serious about getting God's insight on it. Next is the word. The word is the next part of the process. This goes on one of the lines of the scope guiding us toward the goal of obedience, okay? This book, the word, is the most concrete thing we have that describes God's desire for us in following him. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit and its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. That's in Psalm 1, 1 through 3. Do you want to prosper? This verse spells it out pretty clearly. Meditate on God's word day and night. Make it a big, big part of your life. David Platt says, if you want to know the will of God, Walk in obedience to the word of God. The four lines that direct us toward the goal of obedience are, are going to be in order from most to least important. So the word is of utmost importance to us in discerning God's will. And the next and most valuable is godly counsel. Godly counsel. There it is. If you're a particularly impulsive or reckless person, then I'd strongly encourage you to surround yourself with godly people who can speak into your life and help you make wise decisions. No matter what type of person you are, though, this is a Bible-endorsed way of getting clarity and insight when making decisions is to get wise, wise, godly counsel. Next, our desires come into play. Desires. This factor can be a little bit unreliable, though. Once again, this goes from most to least important. The words, most important, godly counsel. Prayer is just the whole thing. And then desires, they can be unreliable because sometimes our desires are aligned with God. God's pushing us in the right direction. But sometimes our desires lead us away from God's will as we give in to fear or misplaced emotion. When making decisions towards God's will of desire, it is okay to factor in your feelings on the matter. It's okay. But carefully check the motive of those feelings. Often you can tell whether they're worth listening to based on whether they're founded in fear or faith. That's, that's to me, that's the barometer of, is, am I acting on my desires in fear or in faith? And then finally, circumstances. Circumstances is the last one there. There was a time in my life where I might have put circumstances above desires in terms of value. Um, but it may be that as God has drawn me closer to him, my desires have become more in line with his and therefore been made a little more reliable, I guess. And so, and perhaps you found the same to be true in your life. Relying on circumstances, on the other hand, can actually hinder us from taking bold steps of faith Open doors do not always signal God's providence. Be cautious when a comfortable opportunity opens up to you because it may not necessarily be God. The most obvious example of this would be like an after-graduation job opportunity. 
in a place with no known discipling church community to connect with. And while it looks like an open door, it, in reality, it could be a trap that the devil has uh, set to lead us away from vibrant community and into spiritual stagnation. So that's something to be aware of. God-given circumstances do arise. But I would suggest talking to a spiritual leader about even those. As I said, the scope is a tool to guide you toward God's will of desire. When we have a seemingly amoral, that is not moral, it's not a decision that's right or wrong, decision in front of us, it's valuable to run it through the process of this tool, of the scope, to confirm whether spiritual truths do apply to it or not. What do we do, though, when we have multiple God-glorifying opportunities in front of us? We have to commit to live God's will. We have to live God's will. That's, our, that's that blank right there. And this may sound vague, but allow me to specify. We tend to be frustrated. Have you ever felt frustrated? Because we think that God's will is hidden from us. Would you agree? Here's a quote from another great book on this vein called Chasing Daylight. It says, the key is not the ability to read God's mind, but to know his heart. The key is not the ability to read God's mind, but to know his heart. So when discerning God's will, we want to just know the future, right? We want to be certain of the potential outcomes. And since God knows everything, why doesn't he just tell us? That would relieve a lot of tension, wouldn't it? This quote, however, gives us a new perspective on how to view the situation. The book Chasing Daylight analyzes the life of Jonathan in the Bible in a particular story found in the book of 1 Samuel. And this verse I'm going to share lies at the momentous center of this story. It's 1 Samuel 14, 6. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Check out the way Jonathan verbalizes this. Perhaps, perhaps the Lord will act. If he doesn't, we'll probably die. They're trying to, you know, attack in this battle. If he doesn't, we'll probably die. If he does, we'll be victorious. Well, the rest of the story is written in the Bible, and they do succeed through God's provision. Jonathan and his armor bearer did not know the end of the story. What was true for them is the same thing that is true for us. You and I are in the middle of the story. And because of that, there's uncertainty, right? In taking a step of faith. So here's an example. In February of 2017, I liked a girl. Well, I was pretty sure I did. We'd known each other for quite some time. And within a few short months, we become like just connected Closer somehow, there was more of a connection. I, I just felt confused, you know, I guess. Have you felt this way? At some point, though, I determined that asking her out on a date would be just a good thing to do. I just, I, I weighed the thing. And I was like, yeah, this seems like a good thing to do. I made sure she was home, and I walked up on her porch, and I asked her if she wanted to go out on a date with me sometime. I asked with total uncertainty as to whether she'd say yes or no. And that was okay. <laughs> That's okay when that happens. I also 
was totally uncertain in that moment that we would go on a date, continue to date as boyfriend and girlfriend for a year, get engaged, and get married in July of 2019. Standing on her porch, I was hanging in the middle of the story on the precipice of a monumental change. In a way, I'm, I'm still in the middle of the story, right? But I know a lot more than David from two years ago did. And this illustrates that faith-filled, God-glorifying action is sometimes uncertain, but it is always good. Acts 16, 6 through 10 is a long passage, a little long passage. It's on the screen. It says, next, Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Phrygia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. Then coming to the borders of Mysia, they headed north for the province of Bithynia. But again, the spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. So instead they went on through Mysia to the seaport of Troas. That night, Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in Northern Greece was standing there pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So we decided to leave from Macedonia at once. Having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. A quote from a guy named David Sidden says, the heavenly vision, he's talking about this story, the heavenly vision wasn't a call to mission. It was a specific guidance for missionaries that were already going. Missionaries that were already going. Do you see the Roomba yet? I don't know. Maybe you maybe do, maybe don't. Go ahead and put the, the pickup again. When functioning correctly, we, like a robotic vacuum, move in a particular direction, fulfilling our purpose. The Roomba's purpose is to clean the floor. (laughs) Our purpose is what? Do you remember? To glorify God through joyful obedience to him, pursuing the fulfillment of the Great Commission. When we hit a wall, however, we are to back up, pivot, and move on and continued obedience. And then, and then when I want a Roomba to go clean somewhere else, I can pick it up and put it somewhere else. In the same way, God can clearly call us in a different direction when we're already in motion. The application is this. Do not wait to be directed but rather act in faith-filled, God-glorifying obedience until you are redirected. You have a slide? Yeah. Do not wait to be redirected, to to be directed, but act in faith-filled, God-glorifying obedience until you are redirected. Just like a what? A Roomba, right? And you might be a more impulsive person. You might be a more passive person. I think that most of us in this room tend toward passivity. Right? I, we've grown up in the 21st century in the U.S. in a more or less middle-class ex- existence, which means that we have a truckload of options and opportunities regarding where to live, where to go to school, what to do, who to marry. This myriad of options, however, has a paralyzing effect. We wonder what to do because there are thousands of options in front of us. And that, by the way, is why In-N-Out is awesome, you know? There's three. There's three things on the menu, basically, right? David Platt says this. It's in your notes. The question is not, God, what is your will? What is your will, God, for my life? 
The question is, God, what is your will in the world in the world, and how can I align my life with it? How can I align my life with that? That's the kind of question we want to be asking. We've looked at how we have three overall actions regarding God's will. We define it, we know it, and live it. And when we live it, we are simply fulfilling our very purpose, just like a Roomba. So I encourage you to stay or become active and take biblically sound risks for the kingdom of God and you will not regret it. Back in 2014, when I was deciding whether or not to come on staff with Challenge full time, I was pretty uncertain. I consulted my own desires, godly people, and God's word. And the latter led me to a verse, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. It says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. I still wasn't certain that God was directly pointing me in the direction I'm now living in. But there was certainty in this phrase, in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. I knew that being a part of what God's doing here would not be in vain, which is all of the rest of the all the rest and confidence that I needed to take a step of faith. I've heard Paul, the director of Challenge, coach several people in their process of determining God's will for them. You know, he gets asked this a lot, and he's, he consistently asks them something like this: If you could do anything, and you knew. God will bless it. What would you do? If you could do anything in the world and you knew God would bless it, what would you do? And that helps. gets the gears turning. It really makes us think big. How can I play a part in what God's doing in the world? Be wise. Hold fast to God's word. Fulfill your purpose and go big. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time of consulting your word. And we believe that your spirit helps us to understand the word fully in a way that um, even we can understand, Lord. You have made it so clear to us. I thank you for this time spent together in a state of unity and love for each other. I pray that these truths from your word, through your spirit, spoken to us would sink in, that that would really change the way we live, especially for those of us who are stuck in a state of indecision or uncertainty. God, please give us clarity. God, we know that seeking certain pinpoint direction from you might not always just work out the way we want it to. So I just pray that you would empower us through your spirit to live in active, bold obedience every day of our lives so that you can redirect us if needed, but Lord, that we would just fulfill what you would have for each of us for the rest of our lives. Thank you, Lord, in your name, amen.